Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During this edition of the show, we give you access to local physicians and public health experts with information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. Good morning. It is Wednesday, Dock of the Rock time. Pretty optimistic week for us in Alaska and Kodiak in particular. COVID cases are staying pretty low statewide and have become almost non-existent locally as we remain in the green zone. And now the governor's expanded the pool of those eligible to get the vaccine to everyone over 16 who lives or works in the state. We're number one among states in vaccination rates as we now have over 25% of our population with at least one shot. So if the supply holds out, and it looks like it will, it's possible any Alaskan who wants to get vaccinated will be able to do so probably by April or May. What does this all mean for us as we move forward? We'll tackle that question and a few more, but if you have a question, you have something that's on your mind that you'd like an expert to answer, call 486-3181 or shoot us an email at lowdown at kmxt.org and we'll try and get your question answered before the end of the show. Today in the studio again on the Zoom, we have Dr. Shanna Theobald from the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic, Dr. Evan Jones from Canna, and Dr. Curtis Mortensen from the Kodiak Community Health Center. Morning, all. Morning, morning. An amazing week. I mean, it's really an amazing week when we keep getting notifications from the ESC that there's no cases to report. We have one active case in the community, I believe, Um, a somewhat troubling report that now the elder care center in town has been locked down, but things things look pretty good. I mean, now with vaccines, everybody eligible to get one except for the young kids, I mean, is the end in sight? I think we're getting there. I think we're getting closer and closer. Even the one with Elder House where we worry about a bunch of elderly people getting exposed. Everybody up there has been vaccinated who wants a vaccination. And so it's less worrisome than it would have been a year ago to have a report of a case of that being shut down. And so I feel like we're in a a pretty good spot at this point. And I, I think people are looking more optimistic. I was talking about it last time I was on that I was hoping that we'd have a crab fest this year. And indeed, we're going to have an in-person crab fest, which I'm, I love going to the parade. I love going to the booths. Uh, I think it's a great part of our community, and I'm happy to see we're heading that direction. Anybody else have any concerns, though? Yeah, I agree that we are in such a great place now and um, hopefully we'll stay there. Of course, you know, looming kind of on the horizon is the potential for the variants to start infiltrating. Um, but the, the sooner we get everybody vaccinated, and right now we're on a really good track, and also, you know, the more we can just keep it out as long as possible until until then, 
um, I think it, it's looking really encouraging for Alaska. And yeah, I'm glad we've done what we've done so far. Well, there's kind of a big question that why why are we at why are we where we are at right now? Is it because we were more protective of ourselves than in other parts of the country? Do we just get lucky? Well, I mean, I think that there's probably that's probably a really complicated answer, probably lots of reasons. But um, you know, I think that um, in general, uh, we do benefit in some ways by our natural isolation. Um, uh, so that certainly probably uh, plays uh, some sort of a role. Um, I think that um, certainly more recently, it's, I think as we get these numbers of vaccinations up, you know, it just decreases the pool of people of which are susceptible to the infection. Um, you know, and I think that perhaps we as a community have done, um, you know, people have done the right things, you know, people are doing the mitigation efforts. And I think that, I think that that also contributes. Um, is there an element of luck? Perhaps, you know, perhaps there's some of that too. Um, but I, I just want to echo, like, I think we're in a really good spot and I think we're, we have a great trajectory. The, the kind of the two unknowns I would say is, is okay, now that the vaccine is opened up for everybody, um, you know, how many people do we get vaccinated? I think that's number one is, is can we get to that elusive herd immunity? And then the other element is, um, that's kind of the wild card in this is, uh, is the variants, which we have not really much control about over, right? You know, but um, I, I think that um, those are kind of the two things that sort of are going to make our way forward. You know, if, if we get a good chunk of our population vaccinated to the point we get herd immunity, that's going to protect us kind of going forward. And uh, we kind of have to hope that these variants, that it's, that it's uh, the, the vaccine is as effective against these variants as we uh, think it has. And actually a lot, some studies are coming out that are showing that it, it's maybe not as effective, but it's still pretty darn effective, especially preventing severe disease. Well, the news on the vaccine forefront, I mean, from it preventing you from getting a variant is, is looking pretty good for the Pfizer so far. And it's also started to look pretty good. I think they said they need a couple more weeks of data before they can effectively say that this these vaccines are going to also prevent you from transmitting it to somebody else, which you know, until we have that data, it makes it really difficult, though, to to jump into the real world, even though you have two shots or one shot, if it's the Johnson and Johnson. Um, you yeah, know. it seems like there's a lot of a lot of good news that the, the most concerning uh, variant to me was the Brazilian one. And I know the study came out specifically about the the Pfizer, which is pretty identical to the Moderna vaccine that it was effective against the Brazilian variant. And so very good news to me. Um, what it means to be effective, they didn't have specific data in this article that I read, but I'll be curious to see how much uh, protection it, it gives. But it seems like they, they are fairly effective. Unfortunately, the variants, like we predicted long ago, that the more powerful variants are taking over. And they did a survey in New York State that showed that 50% of the positives were variants at this point. Um, so it, it's starting to take off pretty significantly, um, where only 50% are now wild type um, in New York State anyway. And so it's, it's, it is getting more dominant in the US. 
So does that make us want to curb our behavior? I mean, if you're, what, what is the driving force then for somebody who has already been vaccinated to not go back to normal? There's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, Chef. CDC just put out um, guidelines about, you know, what a vaccinated person can do, a fully vaccinated person. So that means two weeks after the second dose of the two-dose series or two weeks after, you know, the Johnson & Johnson single dose. But um, they said they can interact with other vaccinated people and, you know, they can interact with um, people who have have maintained, you know, kind of a closed bubble their grandchildren, their family members, as long as they're kind of still in a somewhat contained bubble. Um, they're still cautioning, though, that vaccinated people should be careful and about interacting with the general public or, you know, everybody who, you know, potential circles that haven't been vaccinated yet because there's the variant. So one thing, too, the Pfizer and Moderna um, are showing a little bit less effectiveness against the South African variant, the B1351 um, so that is something and that and that who knows how that's going to evolve over the next few weeks. Um, that's pretty new data that we weren't completely sure about recently. And it's becoming pretty clear that there is decreased efficacy. So um, just, for, you know, to make sure that we kind of get that information out there, there is still some concern about that. Um, but yeah, so basically it is once you're vaccinated, you can interact with other people that are safe. That are safe, but. Then there's the, I mean, we, we, we continually seem to be going through this surge of behavior, you know, where uh, the virus spikes and then it goes down and, and we relax our guard and all of a sudden there's a new, a new surge comes through. Um, you know, we only had the Christmas time surge and then the holiday travel seemed to be over. Now we're, 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 all, we're really only at like 25, 30% of our population that's been vaccinated right now. So I'm assuming next week when spring break happens that we're going to have a lot more travel and the travel is going to go out into areas where the variant is more prevalent. And I mean, are you, are you afraid that that's, that's going to get us get back into our community and cause another spike? I mean, I, I think we are in this kind of precarious uh, time. Um, I think that there is still a danger of getting a surge and getting a spike, although it's it's less with the amount we've had vaccinated. And especially since I think we have a good amount of people vaccinated in that high risk group. I think that specifically that 65 and older group, I think we were, were pretty high rates in, in, in that group specifically, which we know is the most common, the most likely population to get severe illness and need hospitalization and those types of things. So um, I think the likelihood of, of your major surge is just going to continue going down as we get vaccination rates up. But that doesn't, as we know, that doesn't happen instantaneously. It's still, it's a progressive thing. So I think that my my encouragement to people is that that, that day is coming, um, but um, we're still kind of in the spot where we're trying to figure out what is like a safe amount of risk to take. And I know that people are really anxious to take the masks off and, uh, you know, get back to life as normal. And, and 
that's what I would say is that it's 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 perhaps it, this is a continuum. It's not like a black and white, even though the CDC releases guidelines, you know, kind of in a black and white way. Um, it's it's going to be a continuum of, of of going back to normal. And so I think that um, I can tell, you know, people are really impatient. They're like, oh yeah, we're doing great. The caseload's light. Let's 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 do everything normal. And and I think that some states are doing that, and some communities are doing that. Um, I, I do think that it's probably a little bit premature for that at this point in time, especially like you said, coming up on spring break when there's going to be more travel and more exposure potentially. Well, they are saying that even even with vaccinations, they're not recommending people travel except for essential purposes, that they're still saying restaurants aren't safe, large communal meetings aren't safe, um, but you would tend to think that the person with the two shots thinks that they're safe. You know, so. Yeah. The UK is opening or kind of releasing stepwise guidelines. And I know a lot of epidemiologists are recommending that we kind of have that stepwise guidelines as well. Whereas exactly you can, who you can interact with now, and then maybe in April, maybe in May, um, at this point, they're saying restaurants and bars and, you know, more kind of general interactive community public places can open in May. And so I think I agree with you. It, it would be really helpful to have kind of some more specifics and, and timelines based on, you know, the percentage of people will have vaccinated over the next few weeks to months. Um, obviously, Kodiak is ahead of the game. We're, I think, around 40 percent of our adult population, 16 and older, is vaccinated. And I think it's close to 80% of our 65 and older population is vaccinated. So, I mean, we are, you know, pretty far ahead. So we can probably do some more things as a community like the Crab Fest safely, um, which is really exciting. And I agree. We just want to, we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is in Alaska. I think Providence has 100 that they're going to, you know, administer to people who come through the emergency room for you know, if they're not vaccinated yet, that's kind of, they're going to be probably a higher, higher risk patient at that point. So that's great. They're using those first on that front. And then um, we'll be getting, I think all of our clinics will be getting a bunch soon. So we're really close. <laughs> I think in the next month, we're going to probably get closer to 50, 60% of our adult communities vaccinated. And that's really what we just want to kind of get us to closer to that finish line. The Dr. Fauci, I think, last week mentioned that the vaccine is going to be available for teenagers and for elementary school kids in 2022. That seems like a, a long time to have to wait. to re Without that segment of the population vaccinated, to reach herd immunity seems pretty impossible. But we, we got to look at the data we have seen that I think all of us were terrified with the schools opening that it would be an explosion of COVID cases. And that really was not the case. The, the excess COVID cases were among the adult staff more than the kids and parents spreading it to their own kids. Uh, kid to kid transmission was extremely low. Um, and so getting all the parents and adults in this town vaccinated is going to cut out transmission among the kids tremendously is there going to be zero yeah there's going to be cases where it happens kid to kid but that's rare that's super rare for it to spread kid to kid 
And so I feel like if we can just encourage all the adults out there to get vaccinated, that we're going to be in a very good position. Of the numbers that we reported as positives in Kodiak, do we have a percentage of them that were under 16? I, I don't know that data. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure that that data is around, but I, I don't know that. I will, I will add to what uh, Dr. Jones just said is that um, it is that we haven't had this explosion in cases from, from uh, schools, but that's also with taking the precautions, right? So it's still with masking and, and doing things a little differently. So just, just be aware also of that as well. And, and once again, I'll, I'll say, I feel like the kids in this community have been better about wearing masks than the adults. Um, I think they've taken it seriously. My daughter uh, has has chosen not to be part of a lot of things that, just being honest with you, I'd probably be like, oh, where am I mask and go? <laughs> and she's, she's been more hardcore about it than I have <laughs> been. And I'll, I'll say the the kids in the schools when they were first proposing the ideas of what we're going to do to reopen the schools. I didn't think there was any way we we're going to be able to keep masks on elementary age kids. I thought it'd be just too much of a distraction and too difficult, but they've done a, a remarkable job. I just looked at the data from the EOC for ages because they do have the bar graphs breaking it down by percentage and about 20% ages 19 and under um, have are that's the percentage of our positive cases in Kodiak so far. That fits kind of with our 80% of the population hopefully will be vac or will be old enough to get vaccinated. But and but even even that percentage it would be interesting to see how many of those people got it from their parents. Because I think it's a huge percentage. Uh, their parents brought it home from work and gave it to their kids. I think it's I think it's the vast majority of those kids. But then those kids aren't giving them to the other kids that in, they're in school with, by and large. But that's that's a credit to the school district of, is having a mitigation plan to prevent that. The kids are wearing masks, washing hands, uh, trying to spread out as much as possible, uh, checking kids' health, uh, and telling kids to stay home. It's, it's a credit to the school district uh, that it hasn't spread in the schools. So, well... I think that, um, you know, if you break this down, not even just locally, which I, I, I tend to agree with, with even regarding um, that most of the cases in kids that I have seen, this is obviously my experience with, with just seeing patients, have gotten it from more of a home environment or outside of school, majority of them. Um, but even if you break down, um, like nationally, I was, I was listening to uh, uh, Shanna's favorite uh, podcast uh, with Dr. Osterholm and, and uh, you know, if you look at the data from like nationwide, the vast majority of kids aren't that are infected aren't getting this in the school. Uh, some of them actually extracurricular activities are actually probably more problematic in the way of spread than than the actual school is. Um, and so if you kind of look nationwide, that seems to be a trend, not just in Kodiak, but elsewhere as well. What's the difficulty in developing a vaccine for a kid? Uh, I, is, aren't the vaccines that we already give to for for other diseases the same for polio, smallpox, the flu? Are, are, is there there's not a kid version of the vaccine, is there? 
mean, why can't, why can't they just sort of assume that what they've created already now would work on a, a, our kids? Yeah. Well, there's, um, there is like the saying when you go do pediatrics, like when you're a medical student, they say, you know, kids aren't just small adults. And, and so they, they're very different physiologically and, and obviously there's some correlation, but, um, you know, you can't just treat, uh, you know, an eight-year-old just like they're a small, you know, 18-year-old even, you know, and, and so I think that, um, and then there's also just this element of, of wanting to make sure we're extra, like the, the initial studies were on adults. So um, being extra sure that, that um, kids respond safe, that, that it's safe for kids. And it's very possible they may not require the same dose. Some of our vaccines we do give in different doses for kids. And, um, and so, and certainly just our general medicines, there's pediatric dosing for medicines that's different than adults. And so I think that, um, you know, the question is why is it so hard? I think there's a, there's a few facets to that, um, but those are kind of the main ones. And I'm, I'm sure I could open it up to uh, the others here and they can probably think of a, a few more things, but that's in general, why it's taking longer is because the initial studies weren't done on kids, partially probably because getting parents to volunteer their kid for a vaccine that's never been studied, um, you know, is not a, is, is probably not a lot of parents going to sign up for that study. But now that there's been data on this vaccine, that it is safe, it's been safely used in adults, then, you know, you're probably more likely to get participants for a, a, a study in that way. Um, and then um, I think the, the other element is that we're just, we are just, you know, as a culture and notably so very protective of our children. And we don't want to, we, we probably, there's like an extra level of, of angst in trying to get a vaccine out for children. Yeah, to add to that, a couple of things that I read was one that kids just aren't getting as sick from coronavirus. Yes, there are definitely cases and it's definitely worth, you know, taking that seriously. But at the same time, um, at this point, it's just not as big of a threat to the younger population. I think if it was a bigger threat, a lot more probably fast approach would be considered for it. And then also immune system development. So it 18 month versus an 18 year old, you know, their immune system is constantly changing every year of life, just like all the other organ systems and growth and development they're going through. So it does take a lot more kind of intensive breakdown and, you know, getting enough participants in each age group, having the consent from parents and kids as well. Um, it's a little bit, it's more complicated to develop a pediatric vaccine. Let's make sure that it's safe, safer than the actual virus itself and effective. So in the long term, like the flu vaccine, which, you know, if, if you religiously get it every year and you you run into something that uh, hasn't existed before, the vaccine that you get gives you some degree of protection so you don't get as sick as you might have gotten if you didn't get the vaccine in the first place. And I'm wondering now with the two different types of vaccines that are available here, whether there's a benefit to getting one or the other to protect you from, you know, a new variant that may come. Because everything we've seen so far seems to think that this COVID-19 or its variants are going to be around with us for a long, long time. <coughs> so, 
I'm, I'm still trying to understand the technology of the difference between the classic J&J version versus the mRNA vaccine and whether there there would be a inherent benefit to you to getting one that would protect you in the long run, even against variants. Yeah, I don't think we know the data on that yet. It's it's going to take a while, a while to tease out. So you're proposing maybe get a Pfizer the first time and then get a Johnson and Johnson for the second. And you could be right. I mean, I knew, I'm not saying it's wild and off base. I would say don't do that at this point. Um, but it could be something in the future. I mean, with the Johnson and Johnson, uh, the difference is instead of having your bo- own body make that protein which mRNA does, they've got the protein in the shot itself. They inject that in you. They have something, I'm not even sure what they're uh, using to stimulate an immune response in that vaccine. But just like all traditional vaccines, they're putting something in it that stimulates an immune response. Your body looks at the protein that that was just injected in it and says, this must be a problem. It develops an immune response to that protein where in the mRNA, it's your own body making that protein. So a little different approach. Um, and so would there be benefit to doing both? Possibly. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, as far as the Moderna and the Pfizer, I don't think there would be really any benefit. I think they're virtually identical, except for the lipid around them that helps it sneak into cells. Um, uh, as we've discussed in the past, that if you got a Pfizer the first time and accidentally got a Moderna the second time, they're similar enough where they've said that that you'd be considered fully vaccinated at that point. It's not something we would recommend, but you would be considered fully vaccinated at that point. I think I think that there's two things that are going to like in regards to predicting whether you'll need boosters or things like that. There's, there's two pieces of information that I don't think we know yet. One is um, how long will the immunity last? Um, you know, we, we obviously the vaccines only been made in the past, you know, nine months. And so, uh, you know, if you right now, we, we don't know how long that immunity will last. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other part is, yeah, like these very variants, like does, do we need boosters in order to cover a new variants? Kind of like when the flu shot, uh, with the flu shot that changes every year. Um, and so those two things, uh, I think we don't really know yet. Um, and uh, same thing with like, is the immunity going to be better for longer with one vaccine type than the other? You know, I, I think those are things that are still out there. Yeah. Have you have you run into people that have been particular about the type of vaccine that they wanted to, to get? I mean, if somebody came in and said, I, I want the Johnson & Johnson, uh, put me on the list for that and don't call me until it's available. Or do are most people just saying, give me what you've got? So I've seen I've seen a little bit of both, and I'm probably a bad person because people are like scared to death of the mRNA. I'm like, well, the Johnson and Johnson will be out soon, and it's a very traditional vaccine, so I hope you get that one. And so, kind of encouraging people that if they're scared to death of one, to maybe try the other. There's also reasons to give the Pfizer versus the Moderna. But Pfizer has been approved for 16 or older, Moderna for 18 or older. And so those 16 to 16 or 17 years old will be getting the Pfizer vaccine over the Moderna. It's interesting. In though. general, go ahead. In general, 
just uh, that some people I have that are waiting for the Johnson and Johnson because it's some it's it's more of a technology that's been more used throughout uh, history, and so there's more historical uh, uh, safety evidence. And so I, I think that that's that's uh, I, I definitely have a grouping of patients that are waiting for the Johnson and Johnson. Well, how how have your clinics been going for the last week? Or, or do, are we still see, I imagine with the the levels open, um, and the rumor is that there's a lot of spots available. That you guys are doing pretty well at moving vaccine through the community. Is it as crazy as it has been a month ago when it first started? I mean, I mean it seems to me now with forty year olds first open up that that was going to add a significant portion of the population to the people who lined up out at the airport or in town. I know for our clinic, I checked on Monday, and uh, our Tuesday and Friday uh, clinics were all full, and Saturday had a few spots open. So they are filling up. Um, But now that it's open to everyone, I encourage people to call their clinic and get scheduled. We're, yes. we're super cool. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been really busy. We're, we're kind of waiting. I will say that we're sort of scrambling like today with this uh, new, you know, now that it's open for even more people. Um, what I'd like to see is um, we're, we're, we actually have a meeting today with kind of the local community group. Um, and I know that the EOC hopefully will be putting on, you know, one of those drive drive through clinics is my hope in the next week or so that um, we can kind of partner with them to help with that because um, I think there is going to be a little bit of a, um, a surge here with the new opening. Well, do, do we have the yeah, vac- gonna... do we have the vaccine capacity to be able to serve everybody though? I mean, it, it seemed like the last time we talked, you were you were making plans for how much it was going to be allocated to us, and we were wondering whether we had enough to give people their second shots, and. And then the pool for the 40-year-olds opened, and now the pool for everybody opened. And I don't understand how we all of a sudden assumed that we had a, a vastly larger supply than we did before. Yeah, I was going to say, since everything, op- you know, since it opened up last week to the 50 and older and then the essential workers, we had the canneries. Our Saturday clinic was chock full and it's i mean it's really great you know it's a very tight a, a population that works very closely together they're kind of part of our foods or you know our food systems in alaska and then of course for the world and um it's a very international population with a lot of travelers so it was really great to get to vaccinate our cannery workers um but they're the right now i think the demand is going to greatly exceed the supply, which in a way is the good problem because we're not going to run out of, you know, we're not going to, we're, we're looking pretty close in the United States in the near future to actually have a surplus of vaccines. Right now we're kind of just trying to keep up. Um, so I think, you know, keeping our, as making sure as many people as possible get vaccinated without wasting any vaccines is really important. I do think it is still important to try to like prioritize our elders because they're the ones that have the most complications, but um we kind of have a priority list at our clinic, but at the same time, we want to make sure everyone gets vaccinated. Well, I think Dr. Zink was talking about this earlier this week, about when they, yesterday, as a matter of fact, about how you should put your name on a list 
because even if they don't have the amount of supply now, they're anticipating they're going to get it because uh, a lot more is being delivered to the U.S. Um, so it may, it may be you're, you really you can put yourself on a list, but you might not get a shot until April now, right? But are you then prioritizing? Is it first come, first serve now that it's all open, or are you still trying to live with the tier and say, you know, we're going to move you into next week's group instead of April's group because you're 50 and have some conditions? The logistics of that are really uh, crazy. Um, I know. I, I bet that there's there's different ways each clinic is kind of handling it. Um, I, I can tell you that we're out through April in our vaccines um, as far as giving them. And like I said, we're kind of waiting for there to be a, a community announcement to sort of release valve of people that can go that we can tell. So we're kind of keeping if people are willing to wait until April, we're putting them on like scheduling them appointment. But we also kind of know that if people um, if we do have a community option that opens up, we might send them in that direction um, because it will allow them to get vaccinated quicker. Um, we had a list already. Like it's kind of like the thing every month we get our supply, we make our plans, we fill up those slots and then we we put people on a wait list and then the next month we open up, we call people on the wait list and, you know, it's, we've, we've definitely been offering at a operating at a deficit that the, the amount of vaccine we've had has been the rate limiting step to this point. Um, and now I think that's going to hopefully over the next few months, that's going to change where we're going to um, have more vaccine probably than people that want it. And then, and then it's going to become more of like individual conversations with providers talking to their patients about it and specifically patients that maybe aren't gung-ho about getting it but then uh, after conversations with their provider maybe they decide to get it and so i think probably the next month or two it's still going to be pretty crazy and then after that it's probably going to end up being more of a trickle uh, based on individual conversations so the is it janet does your clinic still have the drive-in clinics then scheduled for the next, is it going to happen like every Saturday? Um, not every Saturday. But our next one is for the second dose. We did nearly 200 of our essential, mostly cannery workers um, Saturday. So in three weeks, 21 days after that, we'll have our drive-through clinic to make sure everyone gets a second dose. Um, today is when we're going to figure out how much more, you know, of this next allocation we'll get. And then we can plan based on that, you know, depending on, how many people can go to a drive through versus how many people are on a list that have to come into clinic or, you know, for their schedules or because they don't have a car or whatever will come into clinic and get it. Um, but yeah, ethically, I think it really still is important to try to prioritize our elders because they are the ones that, you know, we have, I think 80% of death and hospitalizations are in that age group, like 55 and older. So we really want to make sure that we hit that group first. But at that, you know, that said, it is open to everyone and we will, we're not going to waste vaccines. And if someone really needs it and they, that's when they can get in, we'll get them to it or get it to them. Um, but yeah, so right now we are kind of just taking it one step at a time as the state tells us what we're getting next. So if I'm correct, you, you've already pretty much allocated what you have, right? I mean, yeah, when when saved, the tier opened last week, that was we all. We saved like five vials to try to use for people who need a second dose or elders that need a first dose that were on our list that couldn't 
get in until you know this week. Um, so we do save a small amount that needs to be used uh, within within a few days once it's kind of out of the the deep freezer. So we are on a time crunch as well as just trying to make sure we have enough for who needs it. So for the folks who have not made an appointment as of yet, and they call your clinic, Curtis, or your clinic, Shanna, they're going to be on a wait list <coughs> somewhere down the road because you don't have the vaccine available to you yet, right? I mean, it's it's not like, it, it, the, even though the tier is open and says everybody 16 and older can now get one if they want one, they still have to wait for us to be able to have the vaccine able to give it to them. <clears throat> so the the COVID vax Alaska website that they direct people to that that just puts you on a, an appointment list doesn't it and so you you could get an appointment at Safeway or uh, do, do those folks schedule appointments for you as well um when I looked at that a few days ago basically it gives you the directory of all the people administering vaccines in your location and some of them are set up to make an appointment through the site and some of them like our clinic it says call our clinic so it kind of walks you if you depending on where you want to go it it gives you the steps of how to get an appointment for that vaccine dr jones can i you you've actually done a lot more um more of an open door policy there, it appears, I mean, you, you have three different pots of vaccine to distribute. It, it seems like before the statewide easing up of who's eligible uh, came, got relaxed, you you folks were like doing a lot of outreach to to distribute the the vaccine that you had to everybody. Are you, are you now, um, are you now challenged trying to find people who want to get vaccinated or are you lined up? So I think now that the latest recommendations are open, we have been vaccinating people uh, of all age groups. Usually it's an on-call basis. We've been tasked with, because we get some of our vaccines through Indian Health Services, we've been tasked with making sure that everybody who is a CANA beneficiary uh, has had access to the vaccine before we offer it out to everyone. We still have multiple avenues that we're getting from. We've had the Veterans Administration bring down vaccine uh, to, to give to the vets that are here. And because we've had multiple streams coming into our clinic, we have been able to reach out to virtually all ages even before this. I suspect that we're going to have a big increase uh, in demand now that people know that they can uh, be vaccinated even if they're 16 or older. Um, and so uh, we, like I said, though, we, we still have uh, full clinics here, but I, you can, you can schedule. And so I would encourage anyone who goes to Canada to go ahead and schedule. Um, it might be a week or two out. I don't know where we're at at this point, but I would go ahead and schedule it. Well, how's Canada doing? How's Canada doing with vaccine availability? So far, we're doing okay. Um, uh, we've been able to continue to get a good stream of vaccines to keep up with our clinics. But like I said, we, we've got multiple sources that we're drawing from, and that does make it a little bit easier than than some than other clinics in town. 
Let's talk a little bit about the elder care facility and what happened there. Um, one, it's it's a good lesson for all of us. For, but for two, to me, it would just seem like that's a population that's already been vaccinated. You know, they were probably the first group that was eligible to be vaccinated. So uh, why why a lockdown then? Uh, you know, wouldn't you assume that the folks who are in there don't need extra protection now that they've gotten their second shot? I think we just get really nervous with our elders and uh, almost at times taking draconian measures to prevent spread. And so I think there's just a lot of concern that if it gets in there, it will cause a lot of problems and we, we want to protect our seniors as much as possible, whether it's necessary or not. I, I wouldn't comment on that. Um, but people who really care are trying to make good decisions about it. It's, it's not because they want to be mean to people, but is it an over overreach overreaction? Maybe, I don't know. Well, I, I personally don't know, but they, I'm assuming that once the, the population there got their second vaccine that the the rules for what would happen got relaxed a little bit. So now, as I understand it, a staff person was infected and came into the facility and now they've changed the rules again. Is that right? So I don't know any of the details about who was affected and what kind of interactions we ha they had with clients. But they did go into lockdown where patients are in their own rooms and care is brought to them. And it's just for the safety of the clients up there. And so they were just starting to allow visitors again uh, on a one-person basis. Um, I went up and saw a few of my patients for the first time. And uh, you might remember more than I do, Curtis. It's been about nine months since we've been able to freely visit patients. I did go up and see a patient there fairly recently, and it was encouraging to both of us. I miss being able to see my patients up there. And so it's just discouraging when we take a bit of a step back, even though cases are so low in this town, one case can affect a lot of people. Okay. Um, if you have two shots and you want to go on a trip, Let's talk about that because there's a lot of people in that situation right now where, you know, they want to finally get out and go visit family and come back. And uh, now there's no quarantine um, required of you if you've had two shots. How, how do you, as a two-shot vaccinated person, behave? I mean, the recommendations are still limit your, your groups and wear a mask everywhere you go. Yeah, the CDC didn't hasn't really addressed traveling yet. They're going to, um, but they haven't updated the travel recommendations. They're still kind of stand. Alaska, yeah, has made it um, so that it's there's some recommendations, but no mandates. Um, and I think you know if you're a fully vaccinated person, you can consider yourself 95% protected. 
Um, and when you're traveling, I think I would still recommend, I think the general recommendations I've heard and I agree with would be wear your mask throughout those public spaces because there are those variants out there and you don't know your immunity 100%. And also there's um, research showing that you're not likely to transmit it to somebody, you know, decreases, greatly decreases the likelihood of transmitting that to someone else, but you can still get that virus in your system while your immune system is mounting a response to it, you can still shed that out to other people. So um, it's much lower than if you didn't have the vaccine. And then if you're traveling, you know, obviously they recommend the people you're traveling to see are protected, vaccinated, or, you know, have immunity um, and have a small circle. So you're not exposing yourself to a lot more people that haven't been protected yet and might be carrying the, the variant is essentially kind of how I see it. Um, and then when you get back there, you don't have to quarantine, you know, a lot of, you don't have to quarantine. Um, there, it is still recommended, even if you've been vaccinated to get a test at five days. Um, I don't, I mean, it's, that's kind of, I don't know what to do exactly with that recommendation. I think it's really just trying to make sure that someone didn't carry a variant in and start spreading it around. But I don't know if you guys have heard more specifics. It's, we're still kind of in the gray zone about what to do once we're fully vaccinated. I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where we're in this really precarious time where I think we all want to go back to normal, but there's, you know, in a few months, we'll know, like, when we get to herd immunity, um, you know, like, like, in a few months, like, it'll be pretty clear cut. But at what point during that process do you open things up a bit more? And the CDC's guidelines are still not recommending travel unless it's essential. And, and so that's that's kind of that by the book answer. But I, I, I will agree. I, I, I literally just had conversations yesterday with our leadership staff about what we're doing with our own procedures and policies related to staff travel. And so, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's where it's easy to like spout off a CDC recommendation. But then when it comes to real life, it's 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 hard to like know exactly what that level is, but, um, what to do in those circumstances. So um, I don't have a great answer on that, um, but I, I think that if you do choose to travel, trying to do be really responsible with uh, you know how you do that, uh, trying uh, you know not going to you know the wall to wall concert you know where everybody's unmasked and like you know I don't know if that happens but it does. Um, try not to do that. Um, and then when you get back, I think being really cognizant of your symptoms and, um, you know, if you can, laying low, if you can provide extra time with, from the time you get back to the time you go back to work or, you know, have exposure, just being really careful in that re-entry into the Kodiak bubble, I think is really a, a, a wise thing to do. So. Well, I think you folks could be really helpful to businesses around town and people trying to navigate this as we go forward because there there does seem to be kind of a national trend to in in certain states for sure to throw open the gates and say we're back to normal you don't have to wear a mask you don't have to distance we're going to go back to 100 percent capacity um, you have some cdc recommendations that s sort of advise uh, different different types of behavior but I think for our businesses, we tend to try and maybe be a little bit more protective. I, I, I'm not sure, you know. I, uh, there's a lot of factors driving how you how you. I'm really interested in the process that you're going through to try and decide what's safe in your business 
given the where we're at right now? Well, and I think in healthcare facilities, we're going to be probably more conservative um, in our reopening, uh, primarily because we see the most vulnerable patient population. Uh, you know, like we are going to see people that are undergoing chemotherapy. We're going to see people that are, in general, I think we're going to have to be probably even more conservative than just general businesses, probably depending on what type of business it is. But um, so I, I think that we can lead in that way. But um, yeah, it's tough. It, it's a tough conversation. I, I feel like I'm having this conversation with more and more patients every day about what their future plans are and how they think they can responsibly do that. And um, I think the, the, the wrong approach is to say, I'm going to just say this is over. And I'm not going to wear my mask anymore. I'm not even going to try and distance. I'm not going to, when I come back from wherever I go, I'm just going to re-enter back into, I think that being really cognizant of like your, your actions in those take in those situations do have an impact on our community at large. Right. And so I think that that, that is a wrong approach. Probably we can, we definitely can start loosening things up, but I think you still have to be, there's like a common sense here about not having trying to prevent another surge and and the, the things we can do we can open things back up a little bit as long as people are responsible with those things and i, I think that that's where um my hope is that that's what people choose to do um but you know there's kind of like this do you mandate something or do you trust people to do the right thing and i i i believe that the cdc probably feels a little bit any governing body that's making recommendations on this they don't want that what they say to be perceived as go back to total normal. Like that's not because like I think that that would be um, an overstatement at this point in time because we're still a little bit vulnerable. So I would say if you're coming back from vacation, go back a little bit where you wore a mask, even when other people aren't wearing a mask, kind of protect the people around you. Yep, I, I continue to hear that masks don't protect you. I'm looking to protect the people around you. So if you do go on a trip, you know, and you're going to re-enter the workforce, wear a mask for a while, protect the people around you. Don't be the person who brings one of these variants back to the community. And so start looking out for others. And it, it's not that bad wearing a mask. I don't care what people say. But in terms of internal policy, do you, if you have a physician or a healthcare provider in your facility that goes off, even though they've been vaccinated, do you just let them back into the facility after they've come back from travel or do you make them quarantine for a week? I think only Curtis can answer that one. The rest of us are not in the decision-making uh, capability. <laughs> I think you're muted, Kurt. I don't hear anything coming out. Can you repeat the question? Sorry, I, I lost it for a second. If you're in, if you have a doctor or a nurse or someone else that works in your facility that goes off on a spring bake vacation and comes back, um, do you do you keep them out of the workplace even though they've been vaccinated twice uh, mm -hmm. for a, a quarantine period? Yeah, so um, I can tell you what our policy is now, 
and uh, I can't guarantee what our policy is going to be. They'll probably have employees listening to this right now. Um, so uh, the um, with us, it's partially dependent on whether you're in state or out of state. Um, so it's still we still have uh, an in state versus out of state policy. If you're if you're in state travel, then there's no you don't have to do any quarantine or any testing um, uh, to get back into work. Uh, if you're out of state, um, we've kind of let that be a little bit more of a subjective area where we talk to the supervisor. We figure out if there's if there's a way those people can telehealth, uh, do telehealth or homework for a while. We will try and keep them out for a week, even if they are vaccinated at this point. Um, but I think that's probably going to change uh, soon here. Um, uh, but that's kind of an individualized decision. Um, right now, for international travel, we have an absolute uh, quarantine for a week. And so it kind of depends on where you're traveling and, and coming back from. And then also your ability, we do take your vaccination status into account if you're traveling to the just lower 48. And we also take into account, can you do telehealth work? So it's kind of a kind of a, a changing policy, I would imagine, as kind of we learn a little bit more and we try and move forward safely. And we're we're struggling with this even with patients. Like right now, we're doing a like we've done screening on our patients, which includes symptom screens, travel screenings. We're starting to add vaccination status, but. You know, because because to this point, if somebody has traveled and we've been using the state of Alaska guidelines, they like, hey, you can't come unless it's like dire emergency and we test you that day and come in. We basically haven't been bringing people in to clinic if they've traveled like out of state for that week, you know, and uh, and so we're trying to work through this even with our patient population who to bring into clinic and who not to still. But um, Grant, like it's going to. It's going to become more for the policies are going to become more forgiving as we get more and more people vaccinated. So, well, I'll leave the T cells and the statins to next week, and we can talk about them <laughs> at that time. Uh, it's another interesting discussion. Thank you all for your time this week, and uh, I hope we are in the same position with more good news next week when we talk again. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you all. Have a great week. Thank you. Okay.